welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we're back with more 90s horror goodness. Don't. Um, yeah, no, you're right. More 90s horror goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, this has become a bit of a theme this year, actually. I mean, last year we did the whole Scream franchise, we did Final Destination earlier this year, uh, we, more, we have more 90s horror to come this year, but for now, we are talking about the Urban Legend trilogy. Yes, um, absolute nostalgia for me, and I, I think maybe that's why we're leaning towards these kind of films sometimes, is because of the nostalgia aspect. Yeah, it's nostalgia for me too. I remember when uh, when I was younger, I had both, well, I'll say both, I had the Scream box set, the Urban Legend box set, Final Destination box set, and the I Know What You Did Last Summer box set, and yeah, just watched them to What death. do you mean by box set? Like, as in the trilogy. DVDs. The DVDs, DVDs. Well, I'm a little more old school, and I had Urban Legend, Urban Legends, The Final Cut, <laughs> Uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer, and The Scream Trilogy on VHS. <laughs> Your man. Let's pretend you didn't say that. <laughs> um, I'd get good money for them now. I mean, I was I was around when they were out on VHS, I, I remember seeing them. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I got the box sets from CX. It was, it was those in uh, Sleepaway Camp Trilogy as well, which was obviously not from the 90s. Um, but yeah, Urban Legend Trilogy, it's it's uh, it's something, isn't it? <laughs> As many film franchises go, or film trilogies go, it starts off well and gets really fucking rough well, by the end. Well, this one follows the exact same pattern as I know you did last summer. Um, really great camp, enjoyable first film. Uh, sequel that's... A little stupid, more, more camp. I, I, I mean, I'm saying that I, I appreciate Final Cut more than I do. I still know what he did last summer, um. But then the third film's absolute dog shit. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's the same sort of formula. And before we continue, um, we haven't got a lot to read out this week, but I will say this: creeping it in the family podcast. Uh, they are also covering the Urban Legend trilogy, and they're releasing their episode next week. So. Be sure to go and have a listen to that. Yes. And see if they uh, appreciated Urban Legends Bloody Mary as much as Chris did. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert, I think it's fucking atrocious and I wish you all the best for having to watch it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, with, with Urban Legend, it's very much in that category of post-scream slasher. That one is a beast scream. Uh, didn't quite hit the mark, but, you know, still fun in the process. Yeah, yeah, and it's got a, it's, it's one of those weird anomalies that sort of came about after Scream, is that you had a really young, hip cast mm. wanting to be in horror films, because, you know, these films did big business. They yeah. Did, Scream did big money. Um, for the time it was out, um, yeah. they didn't think it would. Um, if I remember, it was a December release, which mm. is like a death toll for horror films at the time. Um, and horror wasn't doing much money in the 90s. Um, but you get this wave of, you know, your Sarah Michelle Gellers, your um, 
Jennifer Love Hewitt. Um, in this case, you get someone like Tara Reid. Um, you know, Alicia Witts, mm. uh, Rebecca Gayhart. You know, well-established young actors. Yeah. Uh, mainly from TV, mm-hmm. to be fair. Um, but wanting to be in these horror films and, and using them as a stepping stone to feature films. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's kind of carried on a little bit. You know, we, we, we're still getting big names in these horror films. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think the, the scream effect has gone away. Um, I, I think, you know, it's still very much present. And I think even more so now that... I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure, you know, we've always had, um, you know, uh, an LGBT following with horror films. But now more than ever, there's such a huge LGBTQ plus following with horror films. And it's these really camp films from the 90s and the 80s and such that are coming back now because there's a whole new appreciation for them. I mean, you know, there's there's gays younger than us that really, really appreciate these films. And I really just discovered them now. Yeah, yeah. But that would be kind of the same way that we appreciate the 80s films. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. There's, there's an extra camp value to it. I mean, I wasn't around in the 80s, so I didn't see these, you know, films firsthand. And, you know, I didn't see these in the cinema or anything like that. But, you know, I, I, I was fairly close to the time of their release. I mm. was having, you know, watching the VHSs. Um which makes me feel terribly old now. <laughs> if, if kids these days are looking at these films, we're like, mm. uh, the same way we look at films from the 80s. Oh my no, God. It's, it's a positive spin on it, isn't it? I mean, the fact that me and you growing up, you know, we'd watch these films and whatnot and never really looked at these films as having a an LGBT following. Uh, but nowadays it's much more noticeable because more people are just, you know, feel they're able to come out and... Yeah, positive. Go gay. Come out as what? Gay or horrifying? <laughs> well, both. <laughs> Coming out as like an urban legend. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then I also found these sort of films are a gateway into horror. Oh, they definitely are. But what I'm trying to say is, you know, you, you it's mainly, I mean, obviously, um, I, I think it's, there's a big female following as well, but... I think with that side of the audience, you know, nowadays they're, you know, happy to say that they enjoyed it now. I mean, let's take House of Wax, for example. Look at the reaction that got when it first came out, the remake, and how, you know, people wouldn't dare say they enjoyed it back then. But now, you know, that's fucking cool to like now. Everyone on Instagram likes it. Yeah. So what, yeah. what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is, I think that's just, it's a sign of the times and these films have maybe gotten better with age because of this. And because now, because, you know, because these sort of films are back in, you're getting films like Freaky, um, you know, you, there's more slasher films being made, Screen 5 is being made. And yeah, it's just, I think it's a, a really good sign that these camp films are still, you know, mean and stuff to people and still being made. Well, I'd say, I'd, I'd say camp... Uh, I mean, unintentionally camp. Oh, now. yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. But I also think it's a pop culture. Oh, thing. yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Gay, so we love our pop culture yeah. references. And having hip young casts like they did is absolutely, you know, in keeping with pop culture. Yeah. You know, um, people, I do, uh, live for Sarah Michelle Gellar. Mm. You know, we, we live for the, um, not random, but like... Uh, 
sort of actresses that sort of had their day back mm. in back yeah. in there. Uh, I'm looking at you, Rebecca Gayhart. I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, but we live for those sort of actresses, don't we? We, lo- we yeah. love that. I I love I love sitting there and watching a, a film like Urban Legend or whatnot, and being like, oh, they were in this, they were in that, you know. And that is it. That is that is exactly what I'm getting at. Like the fact that you know Rebecca Gayhart's performance at the end of this film, watching that back in the nineties, you know means it didn't, it, that camp value wasn't exact. people weren't looking for it then, you know, it was like, oh shit, that's just a really hammy performance, but now, you put that on for any game, and I'm like, yes, fucking give me that big hair, big eyes energy. Yeah, no, exactly, I was talking more about pop culture. I mean, that as well, yeah. Yeah, not, not <laughs> rather than camp. But yeah, no, no, absolutely, it is, it is a really big part of pop culture, I mean, and look at where these stars are now, you know, I mean... Have any of these received Oscar attention? Jared Leto? Jared Leto, yeah, yeah. he won an Oscar. Um, that's probably about it. But <laughs> Exactly. And, and, you know, and, and that is, you know, that's... I think that very much fits into pop culture. Seeing where they are now and looking yeah, back is. at... Yeah, but it, it, it's the kind of pop culture that gay people create. Yeah. You know, it's taking, you know... On, on the anniversary of Chanel, Chanelington getting lost... <laughs> It's that sort of irreverent pop culture yeah. that we love and we live for. Um, I know or I always have. Um, so, and, and these films are in keeping yeah. with that. So, uh, moving on from our uh, education on gay history and pop culture... <laughs> Within not, within the horror genre, the thing is, we're not tying everyone with the same brush, but there's definitely a it's, it's the pro- yeah, it's the predominant. We're in keeping with that. Absolutely, you know? I, I love it for these I, sort of things. I think it's really great. I mean, I, I'm glad that you know, bring it back to what I was saying about House Wax. I'm glad people are loving Paris Hilton's performance now. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm glad Jennifer's body is now seen as a masterpiece because it is. Um, so yeah, moving on to Urban Legend, the first film, released in 1998, directed by Jamie Blanks, who also directed, um, a film that us gays love these days, uh, Valentine. Yes, a um, uh, former podcast, podcast film. film, yeah. Go back and listen to us discuss Denise Richards. I mean, yeah, talk about pop culture icon, well, gay icon. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see Denise Richards again. I'm I'm sure we will at some point this year. Okay, that's that's a Real Housewives of Beverly Hills reference. Uh, yeah, but for this podcast as well, she's bound to show up in something, isn't she? Oh, well, we've twice, twice. Yeah. Tammy um, T Rex. Yeah, absolutely. And Jamie Blanks also directed Storm Warning and Long Weekend. We don't care about it. It's Valentine is where it's at. I don't know her. Budget, uh, fourteen million dollars. And made just over $72 million worldwide. See, this shit made money. Yeah. It made money. It's the scream effect. Yeah. Uh, getting into trivia, Sarah Michelle Gellar accepted the role of Sasha, but had to back out due to schedule conflicts with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, my God. I don't even know if my gay heart could... <laughs> no pun intended. If my gay heart could take it, having Sarah Michelle Gellar doing the best Adrian Barbeau impression throughout the entire film. Adrian Barbeau. Oh, yes. yeah, of what? course. The fog. You forgot what film we're talking Excuse about. Excuse me, the fog. Um, yeah, Tyree, Tyree's role. Well, yeah, but whenever you describe someone as Adrian Barbeau, you talk about her weird French accent in Scooby-Doo on Zombie Islands. <laughs> well, for now we're talking about Stevie Wayne. But you're Wayne. talking about Stevie Wayne. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, imagine Sarah Michelle Gellar in that role. Yeah, it's a small role though. It's a, it's very CC, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure. Again, I'm sure as gays would have made it a much bigger role than it actually was. The killer's outfit is based on the fact that the film was originally planned to be set in the middle of winter. When the weather was too warm, it was decided to drop the winter aspect of the storyline rather than fake snow in the outdoor scenes uh, and dress all the extras in winter outfits. But they kept the killer's costume. Yes. Yeah, so the killer's costume is essentially a parka, an oversized parka with yeah. the hood up, essentially. Um, and do you know what? When was this? 1998. Mm. Winter of 98, the most popular <laughs> item of clothing was a parka. Yeah, an oversized is... parka. Because, you know, those red herrings, that is the most popular <laughs> coat in this fucking film. Every bitch has one. Yeah, if you want to get away with murder, dress up. In the 1998, dress up in one of these. Yeah, because every, apparently everyone was sporting them. Uh, another slay queen Reese Witherspoon turned down the role of Natalie. Yeah. I mean, again, imagine. I don't know. Can Reese Witherspoon do horror? I'm sure she could. She was in that random Mark Wahlberg one that I never watched. What the happening? No, it's called Fear. No, 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 I mean young Mark Wahlberg. I haven't seen it. Um, um, no, I yeah, but I've, I've never known her to be in a horror film. Uh, Jodie Lynn O'Keefe was originally offered the role of Sasha, but turned it down to take part in Halloween H2O. Who's she? So, I believe Jodie Lynn O'Keefe is the main girl. No, was that Michelle Williams? Michelle Williams in H2O. The one that was She's the one that wasn't Michelle Williams, basically. Oh, okay. Uh, filmed at the same university as Killer Party, another campus set slasher. Uh, incidentally, both films feature a costume party of fraternity characters being targeted by a masked killer and an urban legend about a murder at an abandoned dormitory. I really want to see Killer Party from 1986. Yeah, sounds good. Melissa Joan Hart turned down the role of Natalie as well. Mm, no, I would have liked to have seen that. Sabrina Bettina. I mean, Twitch. just get all of these together and just do an ensemble. This sounds... I mean, just... all these names. <sighs> yeah. I mean, coming up, I'm going to skip a few because there's more casting stuff here. Um, not one to be typecast as a screen queen, Jennifer Love Hewitt turned down the role of Natalie as well. She was offered the role because of her work in I Know What You Did Last Summer. Okay. Um, was she really? <laughs> she, yes, she was. When did I still know what you did last summer coming out? <laughs> After the She just... didn't turn that down, did she? <laughs> Sadly not. Um... The, f- the film was inspired by the huge success of Scream, as we know. And whereas that film was a self-aware satire of horror film tropes, this one is a self-aware satire in urban legends. Uh, the film's negative reception was a result of many critics finding the film to have been an imitation of Scream. Um, I mean, come on. This, this is a great is. premise, though. It's, this is a really it's a very interesting premise. It's not an original premise, really. Before it's time. It's been... The whole idea of urban legends has been dealt with in in films. Um, you know. Um, oh, my God. What's that Carol Kane film? On a Stranger you, Course. On a Stranger Course. That's yeah. based on an urban legend. Oh, yeah. You know. Um, but to throw loads in in the same film. Yeah. But it, but it's essentially... It, it, what it essentially does is take, take Scream mm. and then... Says, well, we can't do horror films. Let's do urban legends. Yeah. 
And it is, it's kind of, you know, and this is no disrespect to the film. I really enjoy Urban Legend. It's a great film. But it is an imitation of screen. Yeah. And and like you said, because it, Urban Legends have been done in films before, it does feel a lot like Scream in that, you know, the stuff you're seeing here is stuff we have seen in films before. So it kind of still feels like it's a meta film using films. Yeah, exactly. But you, you can sort of piece the things together. Yeah. Um, you know, where you have to have a party where everything goes to, mm-hmm. to shit. You have to have a big reveal at the end. Who was it? You know, uh, backstory, the killer is revealed. You know, you've got to have a red herring. You know, a lot of it is very similar. Mm. Um, and there's even scenes where you could say, well, if this was Scream, they wouldn't be referencing the urban legend yeah. about the killer hiding in the house. What would they they would be referencing is when a stranger calls, yeah. you yeah. know. Um, so yeah, and uh, there's no disrespect. Let's be honest. You have to be honest about these things. Yeah, um, and plus it also it, it knows it's paying homage to. I mean, I know they're obviously saying you know it's for, for the urban legend that, but it also include some iconic horror actors in here. Yeah, and, and that's very much like okay, yeah, you're definitely just doing what Scream did. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is also what Wishmaster did you know yeah instead of Henry Winkler we get Robert England yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) Uh, one of the first films to feature the blue Pepsi cans uh, which were introduced in the US in 1998 I knew you'd want to really know that so yeah yeah really interesting fact for everyone not one of the big oh I've already told you about Jennifer Love Hewitt you don't need to hear about that again she didn't want to be typecast Reese Wilson uh, is in this film and the sequel and you might be asking yourself uh, if you're not familiar with these films, it's Reese Wilson. She is one of the greatest characters in slasher film history. She certainly is. <laughs> and uh, she was a lesbian queen in an earlier draft of the script. Okay. So she would have had maybe a little more development. <laughs> I don't. I mean, that just would have made her even better for me. I mean, as it stands, she is amazing. She is. She is. Uh, Reese Wilson is... Um... Pretty much a legend. <laughs> yeah. She she puts the legend in Urban Legend. She she really does. Uh, Tosh was conceived as a much bitchier character in an earlier draft of the screenplay, which is shocking, because she is awful. She's horrible. <laughs> Played by um, screen queen Danielle Harris. Yes, someone who didn't uh, mind being typecast. No, no, and it's still being typecast to this very day. Yeah. It always makes me happy seeing Danielle Harris in a theatrically released film. It's true. I, 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 I don't, it just brings me joy, I don't know why. I mean, when she popped up in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I was so happy. You know, good for her. Tara Reid uh, is in this. She performed her own stunts during her character's chase sequence, including the fall over the staircase landing during which she was secured by a harness. According to Reed, the stuntman who performed the scene used a real axe throughout the filming of it. So, Tara Reed, she's a bit of a legend. Um, very much the embodiment of your uh, podcast catchphrase. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she, she is. She's, she's, um, she's a beautiful girl. <laughs> But she can't act. Oh, and she she never could. Let's face it. I turned out she got so many fucking roles. She yeah, she struggles. Bless her. <laughs> She's probably at her best in this. Yes. Yeah. Um, she ain't got much to do. 
And she, she does a good scream. Yeah. Doesn't she? Um... Do you do you remember her quote about Sharknado? Um, I think everyone knows <laughs> her quote about Sharknado. How it could really happen. How it could really happen, yes. Yeah, bless her. Bless, bless Tara Reid's heart. Uh, Robert Englund's in this, uh, or in, well known for his portrayal of Freddy Krueger in the Nightmare on Elm Street film series. Uh, he appears as Wexler, a psychology professor. Englund agreed to depart after being impressed by the concept of the screenplay. And was also a fan of several of the other cast members. Do you think Tara Reid was one of those uh, one of those other people? No, because thinking back now, this came out the same year as American Pie. <laughs> yeah. So ah uh, no, she was in The Big Lebowski. Was she Tara Reid? Yeah, she was in The Big Lebowski, like the year before. Why do you think Robert Englund hates American Pie? <laughs> <laughs> he he wouldn't have seen it at the time. hadn't been released. Well, why do you think he's not a fan of her? Because she, he, he wouldn't have known what she was... Was this her first role? No, this wasn't her first role, because she was in The Big, the Big Lebowski. Le- oh, that's the before, before. The, okay. But I, I, I name me one of a film that Tara Reid has been in before <laughs> Urban Legend slash American Pie, as they came out in the same oh, year. Robert Englund might have enjoyed uh, Big Lebowski. That's, that was the point <laughs> I was making. My God. Um, I, I really hope he was best friends with Rebecca Gayhart. Um... <laughs> So, throughout the shoot, Jamie Blank sought to keep on-screen violence muted or implied rather than shown in explicit detail. Several moments of violence written in the script were not filmed, uh, among them a shot of Wagner's character's severed head rolling onto the road after her decapitation. The death sequences in the film, however, required significant, uh, significant technical planning, with Sid Armour providing makeup effects. Yeah, I always think this is a film that's more gory than it actually is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the setup is the real yeah. um, star of the show in, in terms of the, the killings. Mm. Um, yeah. I don't think they need to be overly bloody. But I mean, Scream really wasn't... Uh, they had its moments. Yeah. Um, but with a lot of the killings, it was the setup and it was, you know, um, rather than the payoff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jared Leto was cast based on a dark quality he possessed that was at odds with his conventional appeal. And because he was already an established actor, known for his role on the teen drama series, My So-Called Life. Are you a big My So-Called Life fan? Um, do you know what? I've been meaning to watch it. For a lot, because it apparently is really, really good. Like, really good. Um, wasn't it cancelled after one season, though? Claire Danes. Claire Danes, I think. Probably. Yeah, but it was really well received, even to today. So, yes. But, no, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, body count of nine people in this, not in my so-called life. Brenda the Killer not only gets away, but is implied to have successfully killed everyone in the sequel. Oh, is she? Apparently. I think I missed that, to be honest, but... Yeah, yeah at what point did she... I mean, get away, but what? Killed off Jared Leto and uh, Alicia Witt? Apparently. Oh, shit. Apart from Reese. Oh, apart from Reese, obviously. Yeah, because yeah. Reese is in the sequel. Hmm. Okay, so would you like to give us the synopsis for Urban Legend? I would love to give you the synopsis for Urban Legend... Um, I'm not going to lie to you guys, I've been lazy again this month, uh, this month, 
Um, lazy again. This podcast episode, and I'm reading it straight from Wikipedia. Okay, so Pendleton University student Michelle Mancini is decapitated uh, by a stranger in the back seat of her car during a rainstorm after a rousing rendition of. Bonnie Tyler's <laughs> Total Eclipse of the Heart. This opening sequence... This is good. It's incredible. This is some good this stuff. This is the best scene in the film. I mean, you got Brad Dourif. He, is, he gives the best performance of the film, hands down. Um, he's doing his, uh, his stutter thing from uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, he comes across as pretty creepy, you know, you, you immediately think, okay, this guy's a fucking psychopath. Yeah, so, um, the synopsis on Wikipedia that I've just read out doesn't actually do it justice. No. Um, so she's driving, it's based on an urban legend, uh, she's driving and she runs out of gas, she's at the gas station. Uh, gas station? Gas wow. station, excuse <laughs> the me. film you're watching. <laughs> and, um, the... Ooh, gas man, <laughs> the the owner of the petrol station. Um, he you can see he notices something in the back seat. He tells her that there's an issue with her credit card and she needs to go inside and speak to them on the phone. Um, unfortunately, the uh, the owner of the gas station is creepy looking <laughs> and has a stutter. Therefore, he's clearly a murderer. Uh, <laughs> She believes this, and he, she ends up pepper-spraying him and escaping. She drives off, continues her rendition <laughs> of Total Eclipse of the Heart. Um, this is a little... I mean, it's corny as fuck, but it's, it's funny. Obviously, the part she's singing is Turn Around, <laughs> Bright Eyes. Um, uh, unfortunately she doesn't, and the killer is in the back seat and cuts her head off. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's Brad Dourif's line delivery of the whole, there's someone in the back seat before this. Yeah, he does That is the moment out. where you're like, oh my fucking God. Like, that is, that's genuinely scary. At, at the start of Urban Legend, the, the only scary f- scene in the fucking film. Um, but it's a great start. It's a great and, opener. And it's understandable because, you know, I mean, this is obviously post-Scream, so you had Drew Barrymore uh, and her opening sequence. At this stage, you know, horror films were trying to outdo this. You had uh, Halloween H2O with Joseph Gordon-Levitt um, fucking ice skate to the head. Yeah. You know, it, everyone was trying to do it. And I think this one did a really, really good job at it. Yeah. Yeah. It's also when we're introduced to uh, Tara Reid doing uh, Under the Covers with Sasha. Yeah, so she's... Oh, yeah. Yeah, in between her renditions of uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart, um, she's listening to um, Under the Covers with Sasha, which is uh, Sasha, played by Tara Reid, obviously. Uh, Her late night uh, relationship advice talk show. Yes. Um, And we'll see a bit of that. This one is... Uh, she's she's t- giving advice on someone who's swallowed semen and thinks that they're going <laughs> to... No, that's later on. This oh, one's shit. the girl who swapped her roommate's birth controls for baby acid. Oh, yes. So, oh, you're, you're a psycho. Oh, don't do that. She is. Some, something like that. Yeah. She's... 
<laughs> but anyway, it's a great. It's a great. I mean, it's not. It's not it's really she, there with true. How famous was the actress who played Michelle Mancini? I feel like they were maybe going for a similar thing. Yeah. I mean, it's all sort of derived from uh, Janet Lee and Psycho, but and obviously, um, her surname is a uh, a nod to another Mancini, which I can't remember the name of right now. Is it the director of Child's Play? Oh, Don Mancini. Yeah. Yeah. So, and obviously Brad Dourif was Chucky, so it was a nice little touch Oh, uh, there we go, of course. So, yes, please continue. Yes. So, meanwhile, at the campus coffee shop, co-ed Parker regales friends Natalie and Brenda with a story about a massacre that occurred in Stanley Hall, an abandoned dormitory. Journalism student Paul discredits this as an urban legend. Oh, I said the name of the film. Uh, news of Michelle's murder quickly spreads the following day, but the dean, uh, but the dean Adams and campus police officer Reese, slaps Reese, yeah. seem determined to bury the story. Uh, and in between this scene, uh, under the covers of Sasha, someone calls up who swallowed semen. Oh, thank um, you. And she says, "Get away from the volcano before it erupts." There we go. It's Tara Reid. not Slash from Guns N' Roses. I, actually, I think it's on a little more think, Jennifer Tilly. But... I think you're doing her a little bit of a disservice there. Get an idiot from a volcano. Oh, no, that's fucking Marlon Brando. Jesus. Carry on. <laughs> Marlon Brando impressions. <laughs> Damon, a jokester, fraternity member, attempts to console Natalie, who is notably disturbed by the murder. In Damon's parked car at a bluff... The fuck's a bluff? Um, what's a bluff? I have no idea. American thing. Um, okay. Uh, part between some trees. Uh, Natalie rejects his sexual advances. Uh, uh, advances? Sexual advances. We also get a Dawson's Creek joke. We're punched we? to the face. Yes. So Damon's struggling to start his car. When he does... Uh, Damon is played by Joshua Jackson. Um, when he does, we get a good blast of... Uh, I don't want to wait. Yes. By Paula Cole, uh, which is the theme to Dawson's Creek, which Joshua Jackson was in. And before this, also Wikipedia is doing disjustice to our girl Danielle Harris's introduction, where she's having sex with a goth boyfriend. She is. This is really. I do apologise, everyone. I mean, I didn't write this. Maybe I should have written. It's just, you know, three films, you get a cramped hand if you're writing constantly. Um. Well, it's a good job I was. <laughs> yeah. You type, though. Um, sorry, we're giving away the secrets of the podcast. Um, yeah, so uh, Natalie does walk in on... Uh, what is her Tosh. name? Tosh. Tosh uh, getting it from behind, from a, uh, a light Marilyn Manson lookalike. Yes. <laughs> because that's all goths looked like back in the uh, late 90s. They all look like Marilyn Manson. Uh <laughs> Even the women. Uh, <laughs> we're even given, again, which I'm surprised Wikipedia left out, um, we're given the Pop Rocks and Coke scene as well. How is that a course? How yeah. ridiculous. Um, it's a slightly iconic scene. I mean, this is one of the first times that a blue Pepsi can was shown on screen. Exactly. Why exactly. would it not be featured in Wikipedia? So, yeah, so Wexler's given a lesson on urban legends... Because that's how films work. <laughs> he's, a fucking, uh, prof- he's a professor on urban legends. Yeah. That's his fucking job role. Yeah, because that's how films work. <laughs> um, impact class as well. Um, 
<laughs> Imagine going to university and, oh, what you're studying? Urban legends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah which, is, which is interesting in a sociological way, um, but more like uh, a lesson on it rather than, you know, a whole degree in it. I don't know. I don't know. If anyone has a degree in urban legends, please let us know because I do find them quite interesting. Um, but yeah, so he's talking about urban legends and, um, oh my God, Rebecca Gayhart's character, Brenda, um, she's been a little cheeky, isn't she? Yeah. She's very rude talking whilst uh, he's trying to present. So he invites her on stage to do a little experiment. He gives her some pop rocks, which isn't a drug. It's the little crackly things that you put in your mouth, like sweets. Oh. I think they call them pop popping rocks. candy. Popping candy, yeah. yeah, like a popping candy. Um, while she's eating those, he offers her a blue can of Pepsi, and she refuses. Um, he asks her why she refuses, and it's because the urban legend goes that uh, if you drink Pepsi whilst eating popping candy, it makes your stomach explode. <laughs> apparently so I don't know if this is a real thing in America but apparently uh, the rumour is that some kid from a TV advert um, based around a fat child eating anything that comes his way um, died because of that yeah um, Wexler shows slides to show that the, that the boy is still alive and very happy um, but she still refuses until Damon Joshua Jackson says that he will uh, experiment and drink whilst eating popping candy. He then collapses, falls down the stairs uh, in quite a really disgusting shot. He starts like spitting, is it like mm. gobbing? Like, it goes all over his face and I swear it gets in his eye. It's really disgusting. Um, but he's pretending that his stomach's about to explode. But Gotcha. Uh, it doesn't. It's just a prank. Yes. So that's the kind of character Damon is. Um, not for long. But not for long. Because after he is, his sexual advances are rejected by Natalie, um, he goes outside to urinate and he is attacked by an assailant in a hooded parka who hangs him from a tree. Natalie flees to retrieve help, but Damon's body and car... This is ridiculous. So this is based on uh, another urban legend. So he's hanging from the car. Uh, he's hanging from the tree and his feet are scraping across the roof of the car. Um, Natalie drives, but um, the rope is attached to the back of her car. Well, his car, really. And that hangs him. Uh, and then the assailant tries to attack Natalie. Uh, Damon's body falls and smashes into the car. And uh, Natalie eventually manages to get away in the car. And uh, she, yeah, she flees to retrieve help. But Damon's body and car have disappeared when she returns with Reese. What was Reese doing before this? She was watching coffee. And reenacting it. And reenacting coffee. So, Coffee is a fucking five-star, amazing uh, Pam Greer black exploitation film from the 70s. So good. And um, Reese obviously has great taste because she's watching it. And uh, 
she's reciting it a lot yeah. with it as well. So Amazing. this was my this was actually my first taste of Pam Grier uh, and and coffee. Uh, and then there's also like she did loads of uh, great films in the seventies and beyond. Um, but this was really my first taste of that sort of. Um, it, it's it's a weird thing. I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's just a me thing, but I tend to, or, or did, watch films based on films that I'd already watched. So, like, um, when they, they reference coffee in this film, well, I wanted to go watch coffee. Yeah. Um, afterwards, uh, which is sometimes completely random, but it's like... I, I loved Nightmare on Elm Street and Ronnie Blakely was in Nashville. So that's why I watched Nashville, just because Ronnie yeah. Blakely was, even though they're completely different films. Uh, so I found a lot of my viewing around this point was based on people who had already been in my favourite films, um, rather than sort of like directors or anything like that. It was usually like actresses and such. Uh, Parker and his girlfriend, Sasha assure Natalie that Damon has pranked her. Uh, so the idea is that he's on some sort of stag weekend and this was a prank he did before he left. Tara Reid makes a uh, shocking discovery, doesn't she? Um, after that scene. Does she? Yeah, she uh, finds an early edition of Karma Sutra. Oh my God, she <laughs> does. She does. So uh, Natalie goes to the library to research urban legends and... Uh, Sasha's in there and so they, they say oh what are you looking at and uh, Sasha's like oh look what I found this early edition of the Karma Sutra <laughs> the Karma Sutra uh, which was released in 1883 yeah, yeah and she opens the pages and it's quite <laughs> clearly like uh, printed it's not handwritten or anything like that and the pictures are clearly like <laughs> copy and paste pictures and it's like don't think that's an early edition uh, someone's been going to the Jennifer Lopez school of uh, <laughs> antique books <laughs> later Natalie's goth roommate Tosh is uh, uh, well this is really doing it a disservice I'm so sorry it's very unprofessional um, but Natalie returns to her room, uh, the one that she shares with uh, Tosh, and um, a girl walking past warns her that uh, Alvira's, is she waking the dead? <laughs> Alvira's not an insult. Alvira's not an insult, but she used it as one. Um, so Natalie appreciates the warning, goes in and still tries to turn the light on and then realises um, that she's like, oh, so she can hear like, um, uh, like, what? Well, how would you describe it? Like, well, she thinks she's having sex. Well, she thinks but, she's having sex. But, when actually, she's been strangled by someone after a flirt on a goth for goth for goth dot com. Goth for goth dot com. Someone in a parka, obviously. Um, so Natalie just puts her uh, earphones on and goes to sleep, yeah. doesn't she? Like she's had to do previously, when she's been uh, banging on the other side of the room. Uh, Natalie wakes the next morning to find that Tosh's wrists have been slit and scrawled on the wall is the, the message, aren't you glad you didn't turn the light on? 
And then we just get a random girl uh, in a scene after this. I don't know who it was. It's the same girl that called her Alvira. Oh, was... <laughs> yeah. oh, you should check her pulse. She's also like that for years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah. <laughs> Very rude. <laughs> um, so, yes. So, they put it down to teen suicide. The authorities put it down to her being suicidal. And uh, Natalie thinks there's more to it. There's definitely some foul play. Um, then we get the... It's not on here as either, uh, but we get the scene. Uh, it's a bit, of a, a bit clunky. Of uh, Brenda uh, swimming. Yeah. <laughs> so Brenda goes for a swim. She's doing a few laps. Uh, Natalie's watching from a, a higher up sort of balcony place. And um, she notices someone enter the swimming pool wearing a parka, (laughs) covering their face. Uh, Natalie absolutely loses her shit, ends up smashing the window to try and get Brenda's attention. And the parka is taken off and it's a girl in her swimming costume ready to go for a swim. (laughs) That's a little clunky, isn't it? That's a little stupid. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But a distraught Natalie confides to Brenda that Michelle was her high school friend and that the two had received probation for causing a fatal car accident after driving with their headlights turned off and pursuing the first driver who flashed them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paul, meanwhile, investigates local urban legends and discovers that the Stanley Hall massacre was in fact real. And Professor Wexler, a professor, the, the professor of American folklore, was its only survivor. Uh, Dean, Dean Adams is murdered as well <laughs> in the campus parking yeah. garage. And Reese later finds Wexler's office in disarray and covered in blood. How does she say it? Blood! <laughs> <laughs> she finds it. She slips on her ass and gets covered in it, don't she? Yeah. Meanwhile, Natalie, Brenda and Sasha attend a fraternity party um, coinciding the massacre's 25th anniversary. During the party, Parker is incapacitated by the killer in the bathroom. Well, this is... No, no. So what what this is, is Parker gets a phone call from... uh, It reads Damon. Um, He does the whole, oh, it's coming from inside the house thing. Uh, to which the killer says, no, wrong urban legend. This one's about the old lady who tried to dry her wet dog in the microwave. <laughs> yeah. So, and this is really grisly. I mean, this yeah. is probably a scene like, oh. Um, we actually get an inside shot as he opens the microwave and then bits of dog are, like, dropping down <laughs> from the top of the microwave. Uh, he goes to the bathroom to be sick where the uh, killer grabs him uh, incapacitates him, shoves a, uh, like a tube with a funnel down his throat. Pop rocks first, though. Is it pop rocks? Yeah, he pours the pop rocks down his throat, and then, uh, bathroom chemicals. Oh. I didn't, I didn't notice that yeah, pop yeah. rocks bit. Yeah. But yeah, bathroom chemicals, and he starts spewing out blue stuff, doesn't he? Uh-huh. Meanwhile, Sasha leaves the party to host her late-night talk show at the campus radio station. Hey, it's me again, under the covers of Sasha. (laughs) 
But this Under the Covers of Sasha is so fucking good that everyone at the party has turned off the music. They have. Just to listen to Under the Covers with Sasha. They have. The party's booming. <laughs> Unfortunately, during the broadcast, she and her assistant are attacked by the killer and her screams are played live on air. The fraternity party goes assume it's a prank referencing the massacre, but Natalie fears Sasha is in danger. She rushes rushes to the station where she witnesses the killer murder Sasha with an axe. <laughs> Natalie see <laughs> so it, in between this, so as Sasha's making her way to the uh, radio station, mm-hmm. um, Paul and Natalie kiss, don't they? Yes. Now, the problem is Brenda's got a thing for Paul, mm-hmm. so she's a little bit fuming. So they have a bit of a falling out, don't they? Mm-hmm. But after everything that's gone on, Natalie soon finds Paul and Brenda on campus. Paul, conv- uh, convinced that Wexler is responsible, escorts them away in his car. They stop at a gas station, and whilst Paul is inside, Natalie and Brenda find Wexler's mutilated body in the trunk. That's such a shame that we missed a, a death scene with uh, Robert England. Yeah. Um, it's killed off screen, unfortunately. The two women flee through the woods back towards campus as Paul pursues them. They become separated and Natalie flags down the university's janitor passing by in his truck. He picks her up, but their car is forced off the road by the killer who pursues them in a separate vehicle. The crash kills the janitor, but Natalie leaves unscathed and flees on foot. Lucky Natalie. While passing Stanley Hall, Natalie hears Brenda's screams from inside. In the building, she finds her friend's corpse, along with an apparently dead Brenda outstretched on a bed. However, Brenda knocks Natalie unconscious moments later. When Natalie comes to, Brenda reveals herself as the killer. Enacting revenge for her fiancé, David Evans, the fatality in the road accident Natalie and Michelle caused. And this is when we get the best performance this in gay history. is when Rebecca Gayhart hams it up to the 10th degree. It's absolutely fantastic, <laughs> but so ridiculous. <laughs> she is pulling her hair. She... she her eyes are popping out of her head. She is giving us uh, Margaret White if Piper <laughs> Laurie hadn't had a successful career beforehand. <laughs> Bless her. She's screaming Miss Fing at Natalie. She, she is, is. She is just living she her is. best life. It's, 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 re- it's the kind of performance the film needs, though. Oh, my God. It is Debbie know, Salt. It is absolutely it is Debbie so Salt. It is so Debbie Salt. So Debbie Salt. But yeah, Brenda attempts to remove Natalie's kidney, but is thwarted when Reese arrives and holds Brenda at gunpoint. Brenda manages to stab Reese with a switchblade, and Paul comes upon the scene. Natalie gains control of the gun and shoots Brenda, who falls out a window. Natalie and Paul leave to get help for Reese. As they drive away, the two talk about how this will later be an urban legend and all the facts will be misconstrued. Paul asks, well, if this is an urban legend, where's the twist? Brenda then appears in the back seat and attacks them with an axe. Paul crashes the car on a bridge, causing Brenda to go through the windshield and into the river below. Later, a group of students at a different university have recounted the events of Brenda's killing spree. They look and like <laughs> they look like they're dressing up as the early two thousands version of Scooby Doo. <laughs> 
uh, just for a night out, <laughs> during which they say her body was never discovered. Most of them disbelieved the tale with the exception of one young woman who is revealed to be Brenda. She claims that the story is incorrectly told and begins to tell them how the story really goes. She just pops up and says, no, no, girlfriend, I've got this. <laughs> <laughs> Listen here, Miss Fing. Let me tell you how it is. <laughs> And that is urban legend. That is urban legend. I I do hope if anyone listening has already watched it, um, I don't feel like that Wikipedia did it quite enough justice. I hope I've sort of managed to make it a bit better. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it it was such a great slasher film. Um, The acting, especially from Alicia Witt, is is iffy. Um, She, bless her, you know, I, I think she was more of a comedian. Yeah. Uh, before uh, I know she was in Sybil. Um, you may also remember her, and I, I didn't mention this at the time, as the girl who plays the piano in Twin Peaks. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. She was in Dune. She was in Dune. Oh, she was. Yeah. Um. But maybe this was her first foray into uh, horror. Um. She struggles. Bless Twin her. Peaks is horror. Not when she's just sat there playing the piano. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it is It is so much fun. It is a great camp slasher film um, that is absolutely nostalgia trip for anyone who uh, is old enough to remember the 90s. Yes. Uh, as with our Final Destination episodes, we are bringing about the same formula and we're doing best kill, most likeable character, most unlikable character. So best kill, what is your best kill? My best kill, um, because it features Bonnie Tyler... Uh, has to be the whole uh, Michelle Mancini yeah. scene. That is um, mine. It's a great start to the film. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even absolutely. though you don't see anything, it's just the tension that's building up, the, the use of the song, and then Brad Dourif's acting. It is great. It is exactly everything it needs to be. Yeah. Uh, I would say in second place is the poor dog. Because um, well, yeah. that was actually quite gruesome, actually. Yeah. I think the um, the principal got a really good death scene in the car park. Yeah, yeah. So he ends up sort of getting run over on um, what are they like spikes. Yeah, and he gets his like his uh, his ankle slip. Yeah, he does. Oh god, yeah. Uh, most likable character, without a doubt, is obviously Reese Wilson. Oh, it's Reese. It absolutely. There's no competition. I'd love to see her have her own spin off. Oh my god, that would be amazing. Um, and played by Loretta Devine, um, yeah. who is a fantastic actress. She is. Uh, and also, if I remember correctly, one of the original Dream Girls on Broadway. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, she can sing as well. Even better. Yeah. Uh, most unlikable um, character has to go to our girl, Danielle Harris, because Tosh is a bitch. She's horrible. <laughs> it's like, really? And, and to, like have sex in the same room as your roommate that you don't really get on with and, and even if you're friends that's still really creepy but also I think you know like illegal yeah <laughs> like uh, there's got to be some sort of legality things there about you know I mean yeah I don't know about illegal but it's definitely frowned upon yeah <laughs> creepy but yeah Urban Legend is a great film and if you haven't seen it and we've just sported it for you still go and watch it because we cannot do justice to that performance in the third act by Rebecca Gayhart. <laughs> yeah. That alone is worth yeah. watching. It's true. Next up, we have Urban Legends Final Cut, released in 2000. 
uh, directed by John Ottman. Uh, this was his only film, but he is an Oscar winner for Best Achievement in Editing for Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, and he worked on the soundtracks for films such as X-Men 2, uh, the 2004 Fantastic Four film, The Usual Suspects, and many more. So, uh, he's a big name, but not for directing. No. Um, it comes across. It's a weird choice for a film to be your only... You know, you know if you're well-established, yeah. um, it's a weird choice. It, it comes across in the film that he's big on soundtracks and editing and such, because... I, there's a lot of shots in this film that are out of place because of how good they look. Like the um, the death in the alleyway. That is really wow shot. It's got some great cinematography. Yeah. Um, but it's like, this is an Urban Legend sequel. Why is, why'd you yeah. look so good? It's Urban Legend's final cut. Um, the budget is $14 million and it made just under $38 million worldwide. That's had a lower budget than the first film. Yeah. No, hang on, it was the same, wasn't it? Is it the same? Uh, 14 million. Let me go back and check. Uh, yeah, same. Oh, okay. Same budget. Didn't make as much, but... Same budget, bigger effects, I found. And they actually showed you the death scenes in this film. It was a sequel, though, wasn't it? Yeah. It's the whole, you know, the, the second film is always... you got to kill more people. It's got to be more over the top. Yeah. Um, the role of Vanessa uh, was originally much smaller in the initial script... Uh, but director John Ottman liked the character so much, along with the casting choice of Eva Mendes, uh, that he expanded her role. Yeah, Eva Mendes is in this. Expanded her role from what? She's barely in it. Yeah. I just, <laughs> she probably I gets about 10 minutes yeah. of screen time and a little character development in the fact that she's a lesbian queen. Yeah, she is a lesbian queen. Um, she's a great character. I'd like to see more of her. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, of course, yeah. Uh, originally set to film on a campus of the University of Western Ontario, uh, it was turned down by the administration because of its violent nature. <gasps> um, the music that's played during the credits is the theme from Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Oh. Yeah, okay. Uh, Ottman is definitely a big Hitchcock fan. <laughs> this film uh, yeah. really shows. Yeah, you talk about the first, the first film um, replaces horror films uh, the whole screen replacing horror films with urban legends this one tries to do both yeah you know yeah but specifically well i say hitchcock it's hitchcock and i found a lot of jello films as well if this was in italian this would have absolutely been called a jello um okay um, like what the I, razor what I find is, kill and yeah, but I mean, in in terms of like references yeah. and such, um, they 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 tend to be reference, and I find it very awkward when uh, films reference better films a lot. <laughs> yeah, like they talk a lot about cinema verite. Uh, they, they had this big long speech about the four hundred blows and such, and I'm like. Oh, this is Urban Legends, the final cut. You know, why Why are we making jokey things about um, superior films? But I suppose they are meant to be film students, and that is exactly how film yeah. students speak. Yeah, exactly, but I, I still find it a bit awkward. Yes, yeah. Um, um, the opening sequence in the film was originally supposed to take place on a boat. During a location scout, they found the airplane set and decided to revise the script. As it turns out, the original boat sequence was inspired by the airplane sequence in Twilight Zone anyway. 
Yeah, um, quick question on... Oh, no, I'll, I'll save it. Okay. Save it. I'll save that question. Um, reached number one at the box office on opening weekend. Oh. Uh, the film was a moderate financial success, but only grossed about half of what it originally made, um, leading to the third film, Urban Legends Bloody Mary, being released straight to video. Rather than being released straight to the shitter. Well, I mean, technically. Straight to the bargain bin. Uh, the ice in the bathtub during Lisa's death scene was actually made of silicon and very heavy. Oh. And the kidney used in the scene was actually a goat's kidney. Oh. Which surprises me, because I thought it was fake. I thought it was a fake kidney. I thought it looked a little plastic, but apparently it was... I think it had a good clean. Yeah. It had a good wash. Uh, the character of Vanessa being revealed to be a lesbian with a crush on Amy was a holdover from the original draft of the first film, where, of course, our hero, Reese Wilson, was originally going to be a lesbian. So, Vanessa is technically discount Reese. Oh. <laughs> um, but they're both All slayers, the characters so. are discount Reese. <laughs> well. Um, body count seven. And uh, my final bit of trivia is the July 1999 script draft had a few changes to the final version of the film. The opening sequence is obviously going to be on a boat instead of a plane. Lisa and her death scene are not present, as these were reshoots added in later on. Vanessa's role is smaller, and her girlfriend is in a few scenes. Uh, she also survives. Toby survives the movie, but was killed in the script. Uh, he is killed in the bell tower, hanged off screen uh, instead of Vanessa. And he pursues Amy. She is locked in the closet, and the killer murders him. Oh. So, getting into it, we open with a uh, a nod to Alien with the way the title uh, comes on screen. Slowly, letter by letter. Yes. Uh, we're on an airplane. Uh, a nerd. We know he's a nerd because he's got glasses. Uh, references Twilight Zone. Uh, we get a Mile High Club scene where you're going down is written on the window whilst a guy is going down on his girlfriend. Yes. And everyone's been murdered, uh, but it's all a film. It's on a film set. Okay, so what I don't get is that this film, and it's a fake film, I understand that, and I know it's not meant to be a great film, but why the fuck would a serial killer kill the crew on an airplane and then start killing the other people? (laughs) Like... Um, the plane's just going down anyway, you know, unless you're taking over, uh, trying, you know, uh, flying this plane, you're all going down and you're dying. I, I think that's the joke. Okay. I think it's meant to be really bad. Good. Uh, Amy Mayfield, a student at a prestigious film school, is unsure about her thesis film, about what her thesis film is going to be. But after a conversation with living legend security guard, Reese Wilson, which also involves a conversation about Foxy Brown. Yeah. And a sing-along to the Foxy Brown song. Yeah, it's a bit awkward, though, isn't it? This, uh, uh, no. No, I mean the... Um, whatever, the, who's our lead? Uh, Amy. Amy, <laughs> when she's trying to do a Foxy Brown so, impression. Yeah, yeah and she's, so. never, she's never seen Foxy Brown in her life. No. Um, <laughs> also, leave, leave, it, leave it to the expert. Leave it to the expert. Um, about... <laughs> She's speaking about her experience with uh, a series of murders that had happened on the campus she had previously worked in. Uh, and this inspires Amy to make a film about a serial killer murdering in the fashion of urban legends. <gasps> Meanwhile, fellow student Lisa has a drink with classmate Travis at a bar before her scheduled flight out of town. Whilst leaving the bar, she begins to feel dazed and is attacked and abducted in the coat room. She wakes up in a bathtub filled with ice and discovers that her kidneys have been removed. 
so she calls up the police <laughs> and they say, and she explains she woke up in the bath and whatnot. And let me guess, your kidneys have been removed? Listen, honey, I've got to go. I've got Princess Die on line four. Yeah. <laughs> She's really terrible. Um, we didn't mention in the first film as well, it seems to be a recurring theme, is that Paul and Natalie couldn't ring the police because the dean had already warned the police there was going to be a prank call. Yeah. Which is absolutely ridiculous because like, <laughs> the police can't do that. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. This scene is fucking disgusting. Um, it always catch me off guard, like, how detailed it is every time. Mm. Like, I mean, just the, even before you see her kidney, like, just seeing that she's got that, you know, that stitch there, it, it puts that thought in your mind and is really well done the way they do it. And it only gets worse as it goes on as well. Um, practical effects in the scene are great. It's really well shot again. Um... Which is really odd for this film. But yeah, and that death, the, her death when uh, the uh, window comes down and yeah, her head's cut off. Yeah, so uh, attacked by her doctor, she tries to flee through the window. Um, he grabs her um, uh, wound and... Uh, <sighs> Shut the fuck up. Where she's had a kidney taken out. Yes. Um, uh, but instead, she's uh, she can't escape. She's decapitated by the window in the process. Yes. Uh, leading to the dog having a lick around and uh, the kidney being thrown out the window and the dog eating it. Yeah, yeah. That's very um, Inferno, Argento. Yeah, it is. is. Uh, The the, uh, window coming down Mm -hmm. and cutting her head off. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really, really great scene. Um, Yeah, definitely a standout. Uh, The next day, Stan and Dirk, the annoying prankster characters, because, you know, we've got to have them. (laughs) Uh, are introduced that Amy is preparing the shooting of a thesis film but is deserted by the assigned cameraman, Toby, who accuses Amy of stealing his thesis idea. Shooting begins with another cameraman, Simon. Stan and Dirk are a fucking nightmare. They're so annoying. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised the first... Well, I suppose the first one had Damon, mm. didn't it? Uh, but you've got to have these sort of characters. I think sometimes it's more annoying when they're a duo. Yeah, yeah. Um, when Sandra, Amy's actress friend who played a victim in a scene, returns to an empty studio after forgetting her keys, she's attacked and slashed to death with a straight razor whilst the killer films it in Peeping Tom style. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's a shame that she's killed off so early. Uh, it's, it's Who played it? Is it Jessica Caulfield? Uh, it's the girl from Valentine who also got killed second in Valentine as yeah, well. Yeah, and but she was also in um, Legally Blonde yeah. as one of Elle's friends. And she's a great comedic actress. Um, and she's perfect for this role um, as, as a bad actress, yeah. isn't she? Um, but uh, yeah, it's a shame. Shame she didn't last longer. Uh, her peers witness her film death when the material is smuggled into a sequence of takes of the scene. Amy is disturbed by the footage and is unable to figure out who shot it. Her peers, however, discount it as a piece of showreel. And they think she's just acting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a real-life snuff film on yeah. the screen. Sandra's absence is uh, unnoticed uh, and uh, she was supposed to leave for an audition in Los Angeles for a bit part on ER the following day. She's playing corpse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Travis. Hey, she's perfect for the role now. <laughs> 
Travis commits suicide in the campus tower, apparently uh, spurred by a poor grade received on his thesis film, which disqualified him from receiving the university's Hitchcock Award. Uh, Would you like to explain what the Hitchcock Award is? Well, the Hitchcock Hitchcock Award is just an award that the university gives out for uh, the director who makes the best film. Um, they see it as a um, one-way ticket to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, all the previous Hitchcock Award winners have had successful careers, um, so it's highly sought after. Uh, at his funeral, the arrogant Graham, uh, the son of a Hollywood director... Named after, Oh, I know, yeah. I don't know where the name came from. Uh, offers to help Amy with a film. She declines, after which he discloses to her that he's aware of her background. Her father was a famous documentarian, uh, a fact that she has kept hidden from most of her peers. <gasps> after the funeral, Amy meets Travis's twin brother, Trevor, who explains to her that he believes his brother was murdered. Later, well, oh, by the way, Sorority wrote death, and he ripped that off. <laughs> yeah. Um... Later, whilst Amy is recording audio loops of screams for the film, Simon is beaten to death outside and the audio of his death is inadvertently recorded. Uh, while going o- whilst going over the loops, Amy is attacked by the killer, donning a, fa- a fencing mask. Uh, she is chased through the campus but manages to evade him. Uh, do you prefer the killer's look in this film or the first one? Um, This one. I think. Yeah, I think the fencing mask works. Uh, yeah, I like the idea of a mask. Um, I think in the original one, it was, it, you know, someone just put their coat over the head. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you know. And, and I just thought it was pretty ridiculous that at least four or five different people had exactly the same coat. Uh, before filming another scene for Amy's film in an empty carnival ride... Stan and Dirk are attacked and electrocuted whilst preparing the set, thankfully. <laughs> uh, Amy discovers the corpses and is again confronted by the killer. She escapes again and informs the police who attribute uh, the deaths to accidental electrocution. Amy is comforted by Trevor uh, and they begin having sex when Trevor suddenly stabs her and she wakes up and it was all a dream. You will be hearing about that scene again. Um, yeah, that completely next... unnecessary <laughs> dream sex scene. I really don't. <laughs> I really don't get why that was in the film. <laughs> well, it's, it's not the only film it's in. If she fancies him, they could have just shown it in another way. Yeah. But then they don't... Do they have a romantic entanglement by the end? Um, I don't actually think they do. No. So, completely unnecessary. Amy later notices a light inside the bell tower. She goes there and finds her friend Vanessa waiting for her. Vanessa, our lesbian queen, presents a note that she received uh, addressed to her from Amy. In which it states that she has romantic feelings for Vanessa. Mm. Not Trevor after all. Or whichever one it is. Uh, two. Uh, Amy explains that she did not write the note and fears that both women have been lured there. They're stalked by the killer. Amy presses a panic button in the tower. But the killer manages to pursue them to the top of the tower. Once at the top, Amy is locked inside uh, a closet by the killer. Where she finds the corpses of Simon and Sandra. Upon breaking free, she finds Vanessa hanging from the bell. And, yeah, actually, you know what? She's not in her lot, is she? No. Oh. Uh, but, uh, Amy I brings... don't know how tiny her role was. Yeah. But if, if she was to have a smaller role, but survive, that's a bit shit, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, Amy runs out of the tower passing Reese, who was notified of the disturbance. Uh, Amy runs into the arms of Trevor later. Uh, he tells her 
that he has found that all the murder victims worked on Travis's thesis film. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, Trevor um, promised to her that he would look after her. Yeah. And on three separate occasions, he has been nowhere around when she's been clearly in danger. I mean, her friend's just been killed because he wasn't around to help them. Yeah. After watching some of Travis's film, The Gods of Men, they suspect Toby, the only person who worked on the film who is still alive. They kidnap Toby and call in Professor Solomon to yes. an empty film set. The idea of this Gods of Men is that they they watch it and it's shit. And they're like, oh my God, how could he have made this crap? Yeah. Um, which, okay, it, it's confusing. Um, but what they find is that the credits have been tacked onto the end of another film. Mm-hmm. And they suspect that it's this guy and that's why they sort of kidnap him. That he's actually swapped the great film by um, the dead brother. I forget his name. Um, swapped it for a shit one so that he can win the prestigious Hitchcock Award. Mm-hmm. Um, there's many plot holes in, in that idea, and I'll come to them at the end, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, so they, they, uh, they, they want to um, present their suspicions to Professor Solomon. Uh, however, Toby reveals that Travis faked Toby's sound credit to have him graduate, uh, admitting that he never went anywhere near Travis's film. Graham happens uh, upon the confrontation, watching from a window. In the confusion, Solomon reveals himself as the killer, attempting to frame Amy and usurp the Hitchcock Award, which includes a large state a large what? Stipend. 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 <laughs> what an award that is. Um, <laughs> by presenting Travis's film as his own. Wait, is it Hitchcock Award? <laughs> Uh, they have a fight. Uh, Amy wrestles his gun from him and holds him at gunpoint. Reese stumbles upon the scene and uh, a standoff occurs. Solomon leaps at Amy and she discharges the gun in his ab- abdomen. And, abdomen. Uh, abdomen. At the Hitchcock Awards ceremony, Trevor attends to accept the award on his brother's behalf. As he goes on stage, a sniper appears in the rafters only to be shot by Reese, who is again the hero. Uh, the altercation is revealed to be a scene in Amy's new film, Urban Legends, on which Toby and Graham are working on her behalf. So okay. do you think Reese is going to get an Oscar? Yes, I do. But I also think the film itself is highly inappropriate. <laughs> like, why, why do you think I'm going to make a film about this dead guy winning the Hitchcock? <laughs> like, oh my God. Um, so the idea is that the professor was the killer because his career hadn't taken off mm. uh, because of him not winning the Hitchcock Award. Yeah. When he was up for the Hitchcock Award, it was Amy's dad, the famous documentary filmmaker, who had voted against him. And therefore, he decided that he was going to kill um trevor because he'd watched trevor's film and it was an amazing film so he was going to steal trevor's film Mm -hmm. but kill everyone involved in the making of the film so that he can pass it off as his own 
and in turn frame Amy to get back at her dead dad to uh, and frame her for the murders, he would pass this great film off as his own and la-di-da, he would have his big career. Simple plan. Simple plan. <laughs> what I don't understand is that if our body counts, what, seven? Yeah. Surely more people were involved in the making of this film than seven people. I don't know how great it can be when you literally have two actresses. Uh, one of them is shown to be a really bad actress. That's the running joke. So I don't know how great this film is. Um, I I enjoyed the film. Uh, it's uh, not over yet. It's not oh, over shit. yet. Okay. Uh, later, Solomon, now wheelchair-bound, is in a mental institution where, oh, yeah. after watching Amy's film, a nurse asks him if he enjoyed the movie. He is wheeled out by the nurse, and it is none other than Rebecca gay icon Brenda Bates from the original film, who tells him that they have a lot in common. Yeah, and then you get a really long credit sequence of them just walking down, <laughs> which is, you know, a, a, a nice little touch. It's funny. It's, I admire, I mean, I, I'm just going to say right now, I enjoy this film. I, I really like this film. Um, a lot of people don't. It's got like a 4.4 on IMDb. I think that's really harsh. I think that's harsh. Um, but I think what's admirable here is that the fact that the director really thought he was making something fucking great, didn't he? Let's face it. I think... It's very ambitious. So, it, it is very ambitious. For an Urban legend sequel. Yeah. I, I do think... I don't think it's as good as the original. No. Um, but I think it's better than it had any right to yeah. be. Um, my biggest struggle with it is there's too many fake scares. Mm. Too many red herrings. There's too many twists that don't really make any sense or like coincidences um so like she amy's filming screams mm. and she's doing it at midnight uh when the screams are about someone who's murdered at midnight when people scream and then someone's murdered it's just a bit too you know a, a much of a coincidence and it, it's just and i know i know it's a, a horror sequel and you know take it with a pinch of salt don't take it too seriously but it's just it's just a bit ridiculous some moments i found yeah and it's still fun which I, is still fun which is still fun there's a lot of fun to be had uh in watching it it was just it's a bit convoluted by the end. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's still absolutely worth checking out. Do not let the IMDB rating put you off no. um, for this one. It is it's better than I still know what he did last summer. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no of course, yeah. <laughs> um Best Kill, I am saying the kidney stealing decapitation. Yes. I would also agree with that. Disgusting. Um my most likable character is a two-time winner now, Reese Wilson. Reese Wilson. I'm glad she is back and got a decent amount of screen time. She did, actually. I think she got a little more. I, I think they knew that she yeah. was one of the best things about the first yeah. film. Um, and so brought her back. I, I wish... She should have had a spin-off. Um... And I wish she was in the third film because it made, made, made it a little more watchable. Wow. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's the last we've seen of her. Um, the most unlikable character with an S, characters, is of course Stan and Dirk, because they're just 
I mean, they're meant to be annoying, but it doesn't stop them being annoying, you know? Yeah, yeah, they were quite annoying. Okay, so that brings us to our final film. <laughs> One you've been looking forward to talking about. Urban Legends. Bloody Mary, released in 2005. Surprisingly directed by Mary Lambert, who did Pet Cemetery 1 and 2. Um... I mean, obviously, you know, Pet Cemetery is known as a horror classic to many. Yeah, yeah, I don't rate it so highly. Um, for me, Mary Lambert, um, she did a lot of Madonna's music video, and I'm a big Madonna fan, and um, I probably know her music video career more than anything else. Yeah, she also directed Siesta, Grand Isle, Clubland, The In Crowd, and 14 Women. Uh, she got five projects in development currently uh this is made on a budget of 3.5 million dollars quite the drop from uh the other films Ooh, and uh, it was straight tell. straight to video straight to video yes absolutely Definitely so straight to fucking video <laughs> kate mara's in this yeah um yeah kate mara who was in I know Kate Mara from Pose. Um, so Pose is one of my favourite series. And uh, she played... Uh, briefly... Um, oh, sorry, spoiler. Uh, she played... What is his name? Evan Peters. Evan Peters' wife in Pose. That's how I know her. Yeah. Uh, she is the sister of Oscar winner Rooney Mara. Oscar who, nominee. Oscar nominee, sorry, Rooney Mara. Mara. Uh, who you may recall we discussed in our Nightmare on Elm Street original versus remake episode. Um, Rooney Mara is in this uh, as uh, she's got a cameo as a student and it was her film debut. This is her first role and then she went on to do a Nightmare on Elm Street remake so it was all downhill for a while. Kate Mara, my apologies, she was in the 2015 Fantastic Four film. She was. As Sue Storm. Yeah. That's probably nothing to be proud of, though. No. Um, so, the porn video that Buck <laughs> Jacoby was watching on the mo- in the motel contains a scene from a dream sequence from Urban Legends Final Cut. It's that sex scene again. Yeah, but what they've done is, like, made it really fuzzy and stuff, so you Yeah, can't... and added noises from an actual porno on oh. top. You can actually see this. She's still got her knickers on. Yeah. In 2007, Sony sold the rights to the franchise, and a fourth instalment was planned, called Urban Legends Goldfield Murders. However, after being impressed by the DVD sales of Urban Legends Bloody Mary... Sony brought back the rights to the franchise and the film was rela- was later released under the title Accursed Blood and released in 2007. Now, I know what you're thinking. Horror Culture Shiver, they normally discuss every old shit. They discuss Sleepaway Camp 4. Uh, I don't think Accursed Blood is actually a sequel. I think there's something going on there. I think someone's edited IMDb. Yeah, surely not. I mean, 88 films have released a box set with the trilogy in. Uh, and again, 88 films, they release any random shit. They've got no reason to not release The Cursed Blood. So, we're not including it in this episode. Um, I, I mean... I find it. it, it it's on IMDb following um, the Urban Legends films. Is it? Yeah. 
It's got like a two point one. Is it really? Um, yeah, it, it looks it looks dire. Um, but yeah, who knows? Oh. Who knows? I mean, if we somehow track it down and it's you know worthy of a podcast episode, we might do a separate episode for it. Oh, I don't think I could have handled it after this shite. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, it, it really, really doesn't look great. No. It, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, so A Curse Blood, if you want to watch it before us, if you've already seen it, let us know what it's like. You've got it down there as Accursed. Yeah. Like one word? That is what it's called on IMDb. No. Yeah. That's not a word, is it? It is. Accursed Blood. Accursed Blood. Oh, yeah. Ghosts of... Oh. Yeah, would you like to read us a synopsis for A Cursed Blood? A group of five, led by Julie, set up their filming equipment in the hotel of the derelict town of Goldfield, hoping to capture footage of the ghost of Elizabeth Walker, a maid tortured and killed in room 109. Troubled by visions, Julie discovers that a necklace handed down to her from her grandmother is somehow connecting her to this tragedy absolutely fuck all to do with urban legends. Exactly, exactly. That's got nothing whatsoever. This one barely has. (laughs) Um, Well, no, come on. I mean, it it is Bloody Mary. Oh, God, it's got Roddy Piper in it. Oh, God, poor Roddy Piper. It's got, um, is it Joe? Joe Bob Briggs. Joe Bob Briggs. Oh, no. He's in it as well. (laughs) Wow, looks absolutely awful. I'm glad we didn't watch it. But yeah, uh, I mean, we digress. This time, uh, murders are committed by an actual urban legend character, uh, and the main characters must find a way to stop her. Yeah, I mean, you say this one's barely... It it, it is about an urban legend, but their own spin on it, uh, which doesn't work at all. Released director video is the third and final instalment of the urban legend film series. Even in the trivia, it says it's the final one. We ain't doing a curse, whatever the fuck it was called. I can't even fucking remember. Um, but it moves further away from the original film and ba- abandons the slasher elements um, to take on the supernatural elements instead. It's still a slasher film, I'd say. I'd say it's still a slasher film. It's not a good slasher film, but it is a slasher film. Yeah, it's supernatural slasher. Isn't it? Um, and it shares many plots, uh, many plot points and similarities with Hello Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, uh, even down to the main antagonist's name. It wishes. It, it wishes. Was, uh, Mary Lou. Too. Yeah, it really does. Shall we uh, get into uh, it? Okay. In 1969, three high school footballers tried to drug and kidnap their prom night dates. Their plan works with two of the girls, but the third, Mary Banner, tries to escape. The football captain chases her into a storage room and punches her, knocking her out. Unable to revive her, nor able to hear her heartbeat, he believes Mary to be dead. Panicking, he locks her body in an old trunk. 35 years later, in 2004, this story is told among three schoolgirls during a sleepover. One of them, Sam Owens, played by Kate Mara, had written an article in the school paper critical of football players' academic achievements and subsequently she, her friends, and her brother David are treated as outcasts by the rest of the school. This conversation shows, really shows off the fact that this is only directed by a woman and not written yeah. by a woman. It's, direct, it's written by two men, um, and it includes the following dialogue exchange. 
Well, my story was real. As real as your mother's tits. And then they have a pillow fight with the strangest fake laughing I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah, it really is really shitty fake laughing. Um, David would... T- this is weird, because David returns from the prom, but he doesn't actually look like he's dressed for the prom. No. He's got, like, a, a light blue shirt on open with some sort of vest on underneath. And it's like, you ain't been to the prom. They wouldn't have let you in dressed like that. No. Um, yeah. Uh, they jokingly conjure up Bloody Mary. But they don't. They don't. You've got to say Bloody Mary in the mirror for it to work. Yeah. Because they, t- they talk about Candyman ripping off bloody the Bloody Mary urban legend. But one thing Candyman kept was the fact you have to do it in the mirror. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention it now. If Also, if this is them conjuring up Bloody Mary, are they the only people <laughs> who have ever said Bloody Mary three times? Are they literally no? Even though they know of the popular urban legend, (laughs) yeah, they're the only people who have ever done it because they actually end up conjuring up Bloody Mary. Um, Also, you know this is a two thousands film because there's a really unnecessary backstory to Bloody Mary as well. Oh, obviously, obviously. the one that's ripped off because the actual Bloody Mary urban legend um, derives from Mary Queen of Scots. Um, nothing to do with uh, rehashed prom night two. Uh, and I'm pretty sure the whole urban legend is that you say her name three times in the mirror and she just appears and kills you. That's it. Yeah. So what the fuck is all this shit about? Why have we have? Yeah. Why have we got a feature length film about it? <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So I mean, also one of her friends is um, surprised by the story story of Bloody Mary, (laughs) but then starts to give backstory to it, and I'm like, um, you were acting as if you didn't know about Bloody Mary. (laughs) Uh, What happens after they conjure Bloody Mary? A badly edited appearance of Mary appears outside the house, and uh, I swear. It's the cameraman's hand accidentally comes into frame. It might be. It, it l- might genuinely be. looks like you accidentally see the cameraman's hand. Um, the f- one of the guys from the school shows up, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. And what did he say? <laughs> I- I'll tell you what they said. Tell-, tell me what they said. How long do you think they've been outside? Long enough to masturbate. Not long at all, then. Who the fuck writes this shit? Yeah. Yeah. And then they do a really fun thing. But the thing is, it's, it's like, she says, Bloody Mary. <laughs> Bloody Mary. <laughs> Bloody Mary. Good chances are, so, Bloody Mary would have actually heard that shit. Do you know what? I ain't fucking bothering these morons. <laughs> uh, the next day, uh, David wakes up and in a conversation with his mum... Uh, they're just chatting shit. But at one point he says, just because I have a dead Mexican hooker in my room doesn't mean I've been to Mexico. Um, yeah. Um, she asks him to wake up the girls who are actually in the same room. Uh, if you see, like, I don't know if you noticed, <laughs> but the layout of the house 
it, they are actually in the same room. <laughs> There's just like a half wall dividing them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought they were sleeping in someone's bedroom, but they, apparently it's right next to the kitchen. Um, and they are not there. Thank God. Yes. So after we get a little like montage I don't I don't what do we call it? It's like, definitely a montage. It's it's a montage of them being really worried. <laughs> um but it's like what do you call it? Like a fast frame. Yeah. Um but they're also like um Is it the camera's solid. in the same place and they just kept yeah, walking around with Yeah, the I don't know how to describe it, I'm not a filmmaker myself. Um but yeah, so it it also includes a sandwich being brought out and the sandwich is like a stack so there's like three sandwiches uh only one half's eaten and the rest is just left um but they're all like pacing around looking really worried <laughs> uh but after having been missing for one day the girls reappear waking up in an old deserted mill with no knowledge of how they got there while most suspect a hoax on the girls part even though Rohypnol was found in their system. Wow. That is why, according to the cop, uh, who's a professional, uh, he suggests that's the indicator that it was a prank. They were, he thinks that the girls tried to uh, date rape themselves. Yeah. As a prank. Yeah. Um, Sam and David suspect that it is a prank by the football players. Yeah. While Sam is haunted by visions of a dead girl bleeding from her head... Several pupils die under mysterious circumstances resembling urban legends. Before, it would be a crime for our podcast not to mention this. Before that, we get a really gay school locker room scene with the jock bullies. Well, we do, yes. So, if we go through the the uh, deaths via urban legends, we have football player Roger. Uh, he's burnt to death in a sunbed. Uh, before he's burnt to death in the sunbed, he is told in the shower uh, by his teammates that his... Uh, what is it? Your butt's white. Okay. <laughs> and then we get a, uh, a, a really well-developed female character, don't we? Yes. So, um, because he wants to keep his butt very white, because the ladies like it like that, he decides to go to a sunbed. Yeah. Um, this is before Final Destination 3. Yeah. Um, but he goes to the sunbed. The, the woman's there. Um, she's on the phone. And she's got really great dialogue. Can you can you just give me a little bit of yeah. her speech? Shut up. No way. No, she didn't. Totally. Shut up. No way. She did not. On repeat. On repeat. Um, she's got a very low cut top. Um, she flirts with whatever his name is. Mm -hmm. Roger. And, um, in a strange series of events, he goes to the sunbed. He keeps his, (laughs) he keeps his pants on. It's a fucking good job with these camera angles. Because he likes to keep his butt white. (laughs) So that's why he keeps his pants on. Um, he's in the sunbed, the cameraman, um, <laughs> needs to be looked into. Yeah. Because the camera's, like, right on his crotch. 
Uh, like really, like uh, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, this underwear doesn't leave much to the imagination. It doesn't they, actually. They're it, like wine fronts, aren't they? Yeah, it keeps going side to side, and it's really focusing on his balls. It really is. Um, the girl who works there. Um, now this is what I I don't understand is she puts the temperature on low. Mm-hmm. And, but the dial is outside the room itself. Yeah. Which surely shouldn't be the case. Like, really, if anyone else was, you know, getting a sunbed there, they could mess with that. Mm-hmm. Um, it hasn't even got, like, a lock on it or no. anything like that. So, but she puts it to a two. Um, we get... Okay, this is something I forgot to mention. <laughs> it's actually a really important part of <laughs> During the prom, they, they they have a slow... So in 1969, they have a slow dance at the prom to a song, a fucking awful song, <laughs> that is just a rip-off, like really seriously yeah. rips off You Don't Have to Say You Love Me by Dusty Springfield. They've just changed the lyrics around. They've just changed the lyrics around. Sadly, it's not on Spotify, so we can't add it to the playlist. Now, in the grand tradition of Final Destination, this song plays whenever <laughs> something bad's about to happen. So, the the song, we start hearing the song, and Bloody Mary makes her appearance, and then magically the temperature gets put up to, like, a 10. Yeah. Um, What's-his-name is screaming... Uh, Roger starts screaming, but uh, the girl's far too ditzy and she's on the phone to actually hear. Um, an alarm goes off. She realises that she's left Roger, goes in, opens the sunbed, and he's burnt to a crisp. Yeah. Um, what I don't understand is what was stopping him from getting out the sunbed? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I don't understand. I mean, in Final Destination 3, there was something physically stopping them from getting out. This, yeah. This guy was just... I don't understand. Shit. It's just stupid. But apparently that's how he was killed. I don't know what fucking urban legend that is, by the way, either. <laughs> I've never heard about urban legend. The guy who was too dumb to get out of the sunbed mm-hmm. when it got too hot. Um, ah, wait. Yeah, it was the, uh, the pasty-ass killer. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Legends of pasty ass. Uh, <laughs> uh, we then get Heather. She's killed as well. So, um, she was girlfriend to the football captain Buck, and yeah. Heather is killed via shit CGI spider. <laughs> I like the idea of this scene. Yeah. So the idea is that Heather was is the girlfriend of Buck. She was in on it. The whole uh, Rehypnol waking up in the old mill thing. Um, but she was feeling regretful uh, because she'd been friends with um, Kate Myra's character. Um, but she obviously needs to go. She gets killed. Mm-hmm. Um, she's in bed and a CGI spider crawls all over her. She wakes up the next day and she has a spot on her cheek. She gives it a squeeze and uh, it does what spots do when you give them a good squeeze. Um, But then it continues and it grows and spiders keep coming out Mm -hmm. of her cheek. 
Um, she's obviously horrified by this, um, but not too horrified. Because uh, <laughs> the acting's a little iffy. <laughs> a little? Uh, a little iffy. Uh, but she ends up falling into her mirror and having two pieces of her mirror stuck in her face, which she then pulls out, but ends up like peeling off her skin on her face as she's doing this. Um, and we're giving it, her so much credit right now. I know, yeah. We're making it sound like how it should look. It's, yeah, it's it just looks, a big CGI mess. It looks mess. really bad. It looks really bad. The spiders look shit. Um, she's screaming. The only person that can hear her is uh, Kate Mara's character, <laughs> who's on the other side of the road uh, in her own house. And uh, But Kate Mara's character goes... She manages to climb up the tree, get yeah. through, and she sees the spiders before they all disappear. Um, so this is an actual urban legend mm-hmm. uh, of the girl who gets um, spider's eggs laid in her face mm-hmm. or, or, or whatnot. Um, but yeah, she's, she's killed off. I mean, I mean, none of them have any real character development apart from um, pasty bums. Uh, girlfriend, uh, football captain Buck, he's killed, isn't he? Nope, Tom is, though. Oh, Tom is first, excuse me. And, uh, yeah, uh, Tom, Tom looks is... like the lead singer of The Calling. He does, um, he's got... Three shit earrings. Blonde, uh, dyed blonde curtains. <laughs> uh, so Tom is electrocuted whilst urinating on an old electrical fence. It's completely his fault. It's completely his fault. It is completely his fault. He has this random piss and he's perfectly fine where he was pissing. And because he saw a sign that says high voltage, he's like, ooh, shall I try this? So, yeah. So, for some reason, Buck thinks that Roger and Heather's deaths are to do with um, Kate Myra's character. What is her name? Samantha. Samantha and David. Um... Because Samantha happened to be at Heather's death, but was nowhere near Rogers. Yeah. Um, but he seems to think that they're somehow involved. Obviously. So him and Tom plan to get back at them or, or to put a stop to things. Tom's drinking and driving. He stops to have a piss. Well, yeah, because Bloody Mary jumps in front of his car. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he does, yeah. Because <laughs> it's a horror film in the 2000s. Yeah. Everyone yes. has to have that. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, so he starts pissing against this fence. Uh, he tests it first, though, yeah. to make sure it's not uh, on uh, with some beer. Um, but as he's pissing, uh, Bloody Mary switches the electrics on. And he, in the words of the paramedic the next day... Um, oh, what did... Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh Oh my god, that guy's dick is smoking. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Left you in suspense for that shit payoff. Um, but yeah, so we essentially just see, oh, like, black, smoky charcoal yeah. around Sadly, we don't see the dick explosion. We don't, unfortunately. Um, his ring finger is bit on off or cut off for some reason. That doesn't lead anywhere. It does. It's in um, the other guy's bottle of wine for some reason. Oh, yeah, it is. Oh, it's the um, whole finger in the drinks can. Uh, oh, yeah. Legend. oh, I get it. Yeah. Um, yes. So in her homework, Sam finds uh, a note sent to Heather 
about the disappearance of Mary Banner and the homecoming kidnappings of 1969, as well as notes referencing the events of the previous films. Badly. Badly, badly. Browsing the school's papers archives, they find out that Mary was never found and is presumed dead. Another victim committed suicide in 1982, and the third victim, Grace Taylor, still lives in town. They visit Grace, who claims that Mary, or rather her life force, is exacting revenge on the children of the five people involved in the kidnappings, but cannot, or will not, reveal the names of the perpetrators. For what reason, never explained. (laughs) It's never explained why she wouldn't give the names. Uh, The whole idea is that she barely leaves the house. She hasn't really lived a life because of the trauma from 1969 so I really cannot for the life of me comprehend why she wouldn't give the names no um also uh three of them are dead anyway (laughs) of these children so she's not it's not like she's protecting anyone or saving anyone um she's just making this film reach it's an hour and a half uh running time um While Sam is prone to believe her, David remains sceptical and thinks that Grace is the killer. What I don't understand, okay, is that no one's actually been murdered. There's no murder investigation. Like, people are saying so-and-so's didn't kill them, so-and-so's killed them. But, like, at what point was the sun bed... (laughs) <laughs> a murder yeah the guy's what about the guy's dick that blew up that blew up because he pissed against a railing like what? <laughs> how is that murder I mean Heathers maybe you could see it as a murder uh, because the spiders disappeared um, but the, apparently the police put that down to um, potentially being high on drugs <laughs> and cutting her own face off which is an urban legend in itself um, but at no point has anyone even suggested these are murders? And no. now everyone's going round saying these people have been killed, like been murdered. Um, makes no fucking no. sense. Anyway, while sneaking around in Grace's house, David also found out that Grace produced or collected artwork on urban legends. <laughs> For some reason, again, not explained and identifies Grace as the originator of the notes sent to Heather. The siblings go to warn Book, who admits that he and his mates orchestrated Samantha's disappearance and blames her for the death of his friends. Again, not explained what evidence he has for this. Uh, He also reveals that his father, the football coach, was one of the kidnappers in 1969, but did not hurt Mary. Sam, however, suspects that the coach was the one that killed Mary as she saw him put flowers on her headstone earlier. Her stepfather, who overheard her, tells her to reveal any solid evidence she has. Yes, her stepfather, Billy, uh, who is not suspicious at all. No. So he's Billy or Bill (laughs) Owen. He's running for mayor, isn't he? Yeah. Um, He's really not suspicious. No, no. Meanwhile, an upset book tries to relax by drinking and watching a porno film in a motel room. 
falling asleep. He after wakes, his dog farts. After his dog farts. Uh, yeah. Well, the thing is, he goes to get some uh, snacks from the vending machine. Um, he puts his hand in there and, go, and and sort of tries to grab them, but gets a bit stuck. Um, he manages to get free, but the vending machine falls over and smashes. So he gets his snacks in the end anyway. Um, but yeah, he goes back to his motel room, carries on watching the porn. Falling asleep, he wakes up from hearing a dripping sound and discovers the corpse of his dog. Now, this is what... So the urban legend is the one where uh, a woman wakes uh, in the night and feels her dog licking her hand. She falls back asleep, wakes up the next morning and her dog's dead. Written on the wall is people can lick too. But this does it so that he goes, he falls asleep, wakes up, feels the licking on his hand, but still gets out of bed and then goes to the wardrobe and discovers a dead dog. And it's like, well, that's not the urban, that's not scary. Right, what that's a waste. Just like, what's the point? That's... Absolute waste of a really creepy urban legend. Exactly, exactly. Um, he is then attacked by a... <laughs> He's bottled body. He is. <laughs> bloody Mary. <laughs> he is attacked by a demonic Bloody Mary who crawls out from under his bed, very much the ring style, and kills him with his broken whiskey bottle, which contains Tom's finger. Uh, but yeah, she bottles him, essentially. <laughs> uh, different rumours about his death are spread immediately. Well, one of them is Buck got himself good and killed last night. Yeah, so the two... It's even mean. The two <laughs> girls from the beginning, um, they're, they're, they're still alive. They're just yeah. not featured in the film at all. Um, they finally resurface. Uh, and they're meant to be Sam's like best friends. <laughs> they have absolutely no involvement in any of this until now, where they say, oh, well, I heard Buck was squashed by a, a vending machine that fell over. <laughs> um, and one of them is... The one who was actually really harsh to the other one about her mum's boob job and shit and her mum's drinking problem. Um, she says, I don't know why you're so concerned, Sam. They were no consideration when we were left in the old mill. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, did you get down the really suspicious line of dialogue by Samantha? No. <laughs> oh, I didn't get it down, but yeah. So, yeah, so everyone suspects them in the school. They walk through the school, everyone's staring at them, thinking they're these like horrific murderers. Let's go around killing everyone. Like the supernatural murderers. Yeah, blowing up Dave. people's cocks and everything. Um, and they stand in the middle of this hallway. Everyone's surrounding them. And fucking Kate Mara's like, fall down, want to go. Oh, what? <laughs> they giggle a little bit afterwards yeah. as well. Like She's the stupidest so fucking random. character out of all three of these films. She is a dumbass. <laughs> So, uh, both siblings are trying to find clues about the fifth remaining perpetrator. Sam by browsing through old photographs and David by visiting Grace again. Grace still refuses to reveal the names for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Well, until he tells her she's like Foxy Brown. Yeah. No, yeah, but she doesn't even reveal the names. Grace, she refuses oh, to that's reveal she the lets names. Him in. Let's do so, so. Yeah, but directs him to the school archives. <laughs> To, I, I can't, I'm not telling you the names. I can't tell you the names. 
but I'll tell you exactly where you can find out the names. <laughs> Going through the archives, he discovers the identity of the fifth person and rushes home. Oh, and it is. But finds Sam gone and is suffocated by a hooded figure. <laughs> Meanwhile, Sam has visions of Mary again, revealing that the girl was not dead when she was locked in the trunk and that she later awoke, realising she was buried alive, calling out the name of her killer, Billy. <laughs> like, oh, when does she knows anyone called Billy? But you can clearly hear in this, like, premonition or whatever the fuck it is, this vision, Mary saying the name Billy. <laughs> so it's like, oh, it's Bill. It's Bill then. Okay. Like... Yeah. But no, it hasn't been revealed yet. Yeah, it hasn't been revealed. <laughs> Somehow. The visions also reveal to Sam the whereabouts of the trunk. Sam visits Grace, who tells her to find and bury Mary's corpse and reluctantly agrees to drive Sam to the school. While Grace is waiting in the van, Sam finds the storage room in the trunk with Mary's decayed corpse in it. Um, she finds a storage room that hasn't been tidied or cleaned or anything's moved in those 30 plus years it's absolutely fucking stupid um that it looks exactly the same as it did at the beginning yeah. of the film there was no smell coming from the trunk no one else was ever in there in these you know no one ever opened that trunk what did they think was in it oh uh, the hooded figure also appears and enters the storage room but sam locks him inside while carrying mary's remains outside of the van Finding Grace unconscious, Sam drives the van to the cemetery where she begins to dig a grave for Mary under her headstone. Her stepfather, <laughs> Billy, whom Sam had phoned, also appears and helps her dig. Yeah, so he finds her in a grave hug. He is dressed in the killer's fucking outfit exactly. that she has just seen. His name is fucking Bill. Yeah. Seriously, and she greets him. So, oh, I'm so happy to see you. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. He unexpectedly but suddenly hits Sam with the shovel. <laughs> Grace intervenes and tries to fight off Mr. Rowans, whom Grace recognizes and calls by his name. But he eventually knocks Grace out, pursuing his stepdaughter through the graveyard. Apologizing for hitting her because he has anger issues. Don't even. He actually says. I'm sorry I hit you. I have a problem with anger management, but I'm okay now. Are you fucking serious? <laughs> he finally captures her and is about to decapitate her with the shovel when Mary, in her living form, appears. Smiling towards Sam, she kisses him, then reverts <laughs> to her ghastly form and drags him with her into the grave. Complete with CGI stones and green smoke. When Sam wakes up, the grave is surrounded by police and medical personnel retrieving her stepfather's corpse. Yes, you heard that right. When Sam wakes up, yes, she slept in the graveyard overnight. She, she and Grace are bandaged and treated for their wounds and they sit consoling one another. It is announced that Bill Owens has died of a heart attack while trying to dispose of the remains of Mary Banner <laughs> and Bill Owens is exposed as Mary's killer. I don't know how they knew he had a heart attack. Um. I I have... Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was bad when I first watched it. Um, but I thought, you know, maybe laughable bad. Watching this time is fucking unbearable. It's unforgivably stupid. 
and nonsensical. You know, it's low budget. I, I get it. It is low budget, but it's low budget from Sony. You're being, this is a film being released by Sony. There's no excuse. But the thing is, it, it's low budget, but it, it don't matter on a budget. It don't matter how big or small your budget is. If you've got a really awful script, it's never going to work. Yeah. And, I mean, the dialogue in this is atrocious. Um, the plot holes or the things that don't make any sense or the ridiculousness of the plot in general, you know, that, you can't blame that on a small budget. Yeah, and I've said it time and time again on this podcast, the 2000s were a really rough time in horror, and this film in particular represents everything that was wrong with horror around that time. Uh, it, it ticks all the boxes, all the cliches, um, you know, the unnecessary backstory, stupid characters, stupid dialogue... And just, I don't, I really don't understand why the character of Grace just wouldn't give the names. I know. It's, it's just, it's so stupid. And it's clearly just a, a device to make the film feature length. I understand that. But it's stu- it's just really lazy writing. Um, how I described it to Gary after we watched it, it was like somebody, uh, like the studio were like, okay, we've got a really small budget. We need someone to write a screenplay for an urban legend sequel on the cheap. Um, so they put it out there, two guys turn around and said, yeah, we can do that. And they sat there writing the screenplay. And they're like, have you seen the first two? <laughs> nah, nah, mate, no, I haven't seen the first two. That's what I watched recently, that Final Destination, that was good. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Uh, that was just, let's add a bit of that into it. Oh, do you know what else I watched? Uh, I watched uh, uh, Prom Night 2, Hello Mary Lou. Ah, I love that film, great film. Yeah, let's add a little bit of that into it. Let's add a lot of that into it. Yeah, let's, let's just steal the backstory of that. And uh, oh, what else have you been watching recently? Oh, um, uh, The Ring remake, that was quite nice. Yeah, yeah, great. Uh, we'll just have a random scene where she comes out of the bed uh, looking like the girl from The Ring. That would like, that'd be really great. Oh, let's do a makeup like uh, Regan from The Exorcist. Yeah. Let's, let's try and copy that. Yeah. Oh, have you seen these, uh, have you seen these YouTube videos going around? <laughs> oh, there's just, uh, yeah, of uh, that scary face that pops up. The one where you're playing that game. <laughs> I was like, yeah, how does it make it look like that? Make it, that's popular, isn't it? That's popular. Let's do that. Yeah. It's not great, guys. Don't watch it. <laughs> it's not. It's really... It, it, I have to say, I, I just thought it was really lazy writing. It is. And I mean, you've got a tried and tested formula. It's not It difficult. worked in the first film. It worked less, but still worked in the second film. And then you make this... You've got Bloody Mary. The potential is endless. You could do a lot with that shit. You know, Bloody Mary and a film where you've got a base your f- film around killings based on urban legends. Yeah. How can you go this wrong? Rip off Candyman. And, and you know what? The thing is, the trailer, we watched the trailer for it, and it plays it out like a comedy. Now, that could have gone the way, the, the classic uh, Tommy Wiseau way, where you set out to make a serious film, you've watched it back, you've added your audience reactions. Okay, this is shit. Let's quickly pretend it's a comedy. Great, okay, whatever. Even if you're trying to pass this film off as a comedy, it's still fucking dire. It is. It's not even a good comedy. It's just not no, good no. at all. 
It really, it really is uh, genuinely awful. I did not enjoy any aspect of the no. film. I'm sorry. So, best kill. It had to be the spider one, despite how shit it looked. This, yeah, the spider one, just for when she actually pops this spot, it actually made me jump. <laughs> the, only, the only slightly, uh, a slight bit of emotion I felt watching the film. Uh, most likable character is Bloody Mary. <laughs> yeah, she is. Any girl who comes back for revenge... Wait, wasn't it the dog? Oh, wow, well, yeah. It's got to be the dog in a film like this. Any girl who comes back for revenge all those years later just to bottle someone, you know, got to yeah. give it to them. Um, <laughs> most unlikable characters, practically everyone. Yeah, like genuinely. But the biggest standout, the most irritating person, had to be Samantha. Because of how fucking stupid she, she was. She was. She was. Oh, my God. Why would you face someone in the killer's outfit and act like you're glad to see him? Like, how did you not know when when she said Bill was her, her murderer? Exactly. How did you not know that was your stepdad? Yeah. It was obvious before she even said that. Like, she is so dumb. And if she said a little more about her, her brother probably would have survived. Yeah. It could have had this wrapped up a lot sooner. Do you know who's actually one of the most annoying as well? Grace. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Are you fucking serious? Why are you not giving these names? And it's never explained why she just yeah. didn't give the names. It really it's so frustrating. It's a terrible, terrible plot device. But yes, that is sadly the concluding chapter of Urban Legends Trilogy. No. Uh, Rankin, I think it's obvious, it's one, two, three. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, there is a new Urban Legend movie being made with both Loretta Devine and Rebecca Gay Icon Hart yes. returning. So thankfully that won't be the last film for long. No. Yes, so uh, hopefully it, it is mainly just those two getting all their screen time. Um, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do with that. Well, it's going to be in a modern setting and they're going to use uh, social media and stuff like that. So, you know, maybe creepypasta. There's a lot of creepypastas. There is. Um, they could maybe use. Uh, yeah, I think it could be great. Speaking of urban legend, have you ever been on Snopes.com? I have not. Oh, it's, it's a really great website for urban legends and such. So if it's the kind of thing that interests you, um, go on that. I don't they haven't sponsored us, that just came to mind. Uh, so, if you are a fan of the Urban Legend Trilogy, let us know on social media. We are Horacle Trash on Facebook and Instagram, and Horacle Trash on Twitter. Uh, I'm Dead at Gaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazmo205 on Instagram, and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker823 on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. And if you listen on iTunes, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, or you might have. Uh, spiders crawling out of your face. <laughs> Terrible CGI spiders, so be kind. Uh, like a follow on FN Cows. Uh, YouTube, we're on there now, Horacult Trash Shover, and don't forget, now that's what I call Horacult Trash Shover on Spotify. Um, oh, God. Next week, double episode week, uh, we are back with five films altogether. Five films. Yes, Tuesday. Uh, what will we discuss on Tuesday? Tuesday is the legendary double bill of Joan Collins, uh, The Stud and The Bitch. Um, so if you enjoy ageing Hollywood actresses um, <laughs> doing naked 
uh, swimming pool orgies, then you're in for a real treat. Um, I haven't seen them yet, but they're meant to be trash to pieces, camp, full on um, sleaze. So excited to watch them. Yes, this is going to go one of two ways. Uh, yeah, for you. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm gonna love them. And then on Friday. We are back with Original versus Remake and our second Original versus Remake Threesome, where we will be discussing three films, uh, two remakes and one original. And we are discussing The Last House on the Left, which a lot of people don't know is actually a remake of sorts. Yeah, so it's, it is a remake of sorts of Ingmar Bergman's The Virgin Springs. And uh, you know whenever I talk about... Um, films and I say I know we're not talking about Bergman we're not talking about <laughs> Bergman here we're not talking about Bergman so there's a lot to enjoy well we're actually gonna fucking talk about Ingmar Bergman <laughs> um it, yeah so Last House on the Left is a, a fairly loose remake of The Virgin Springs um but we've been dying to watch the three back to back yeah and we're thinking might as well make a podcast episode out of it Really excited for that one. We're going to talk about an Oscar-winning film, Gazman, on know, the podcast. I know, I know. And and then... Uh, actually, you know, I can't even say anything bad. I mean, I, I remember enjoying both both of the other films, so this could be an interesting yeah, one. Yeah, it should, be, it should be a good one, actually. My, I mean, remember those words, obviously, next week, when we watch the remake and it ends up being shit. Uh, <laughs> it's got a higher IMDb rating. Yeah, yeah. So we will be back same time, same place next week. Bye.